Alright, so we're continuing our discuss the maintaining spiritual fervency series is still on. Still very much on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So I'm going to continue my discourse on Sunday. Um, I, I thought I was going to be able to finish it on Sunday. You know, but I didn't want to rush it. So we're going to wrap it up tonight on overcoming spiritual shallowness. Overcoming spiritual shallowness. In case someone is wondering why is pastor, because this is the third teaching, right? On overcoming spiritual shallowness. Why is pastor dwelling so much on this? Because for every desired height, there must be proportionate depth. I'm going to say that again. For every desired height, and I want you to please write that down. There must be proportionate depth. As a matter of fact, there must be greater depth. Why did I say that? Because in engineering, if, let's use um, the construction of a bridge as an illustration in engineering. If they want to build a bridge and the weight of what should pass through that bridge, let's say is um, a thousand tons. In engineering, what they do is not to create a bridge that can carry a thousand tons of weight. What they do, not quack engineers or engineers trying to save money. What they will construct is a bridge that has the capacity to carry 2,000 tons of weight. I hear what I'm saying. So even what they build has a greater capacity than what it will handle. So also in the things of the spirit, let's say you want to rise to a height of a thousand meters. Your depth shouldn't be a thousand meters. You should strive to add minimum 2,000 meters deep. Or of depth, rather. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? So the higher the height you desire, the greater must be your pursuit of depth. And so we need to understand that as believers, we must not be too excited about the things we see on the outside. We must be much more excited than, this, than the things that we have that are not evident as it were to the optical eyes. That's why Jesus, in talking about prayer and fasting, which is one of the basic Christian disciplines that generates power, he said that when you fast in secret, he said when you pray, he said, shut the door against yourself. He says, your father that sees you in secret will reward you openly. See, I'm not really impressed by what people do on the outside. I'm much more impressed when I discover people's private regimen. Anybody can perform on the outside. I hear what I'm saying. I'm not even really, really impressed by somebody that just makes it or just breaks through or just eats it. I'm not really impressed. I'm much more impressed by sustainability because it takes depth for something to be sustainable. I hear what I'm saying. Depth is what determines continuity. Anybody can do permutation and combination and you know do a fraudulent stuff, you know, and have a measure of success. A measure of achievement. The question is, can that thing be sustained for one decade? For two decades? And God's plan for you and I is not to be a shooting star. You know, shooting stars, you see the brightness. Very few moments and it is gone. God wants you and I to be like the brightness of the sun. That's why he says you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. We are supposed to be ever shining. Continually burning. That is God's plan and desire for you and I. And that is impossible, right, without spiritual depth. So you and I, like I said on Sunday, we must strive for spiritual depth. 
We must strive for spiritual depth. We must strive for spiritual depth. In Psalms 107, verse 23 to 24. Psalms 107, verse 23 to verse 24. The Bible says, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters. The Bible says, These, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders on the surface. Where do they see his wonders? In the deep. So if you're going to see the wonders of God in your life, you must pay attention to your spiritual depths. You see, there are, there is a dimension of, or should I just say there, is a, there are dimensions that God will never introduce you to if you don't have the measure of spiritual depth. Because it can even be dangerous for you. <laughs> Am I making sense? It's just like someone that says, you know what, I want to develop, you know, um, 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 uh, what do they call it now, muscles. So the person goes to the gym and the person has never lifted any dumbbell, never lifted any weight, never done any exercise before. The person now goes to 100 kg weight, decides to lift it. Oh, yeah, happened? He may land in the hospital. Many of what a lot of us are trusting God for is like that weight. You have not developed the capacity, you see, the resistance, the strength to undo certain things. But we say, God, give me all the same. It's just like the prodigal son. The prodigal son did not understand that it's not about what you are giving, it's about who you are. He said, Father, give to me that which belongs to me. Luke chapter 12, I believe verse 15, I'm not sure, but I think that account is in Luke chapter 12. He says, give unto me the inheritance that falls to me. Well, the father didn't have any problem with it. He gave it to him because he knew he was going to lose it. How did I know? Because the Bible says that when he came back, after he had lost everything, the father was waiting for him. He didn't meet the father in the house. The father was waiting because the father knew he would lose it. Because what you have not developed capacity for, that you strive to get by all means, that you will eventually lose. And it's a spiritual depth that determines what you can do and what you can keep. A spiritual depth. And that's why I said on Sunday that spiritual depth is a choice. It is not a gift. It's not a byproduct of laying on of hands. No, 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 no. Nobody can transfer their debt to you. Nobody can. If you see anyone that is spiritually deep, it's because they decided to be. Spiritual depth, we also emphasize that it happens over time and not overnight. So if somebody decides today, maybe you have a slim stature. And you say, you know what? I want to add weight. It's one of my goals. <laughs> That's the goal of some people. <laughs> some people are trying to lose weight. Some people are trying to add weight. So let's assume that your goal is to add weight. And you now decide that today I want to add weight. If you like, eat all the food in Lagos. You can't add weight overnight. You can only go to the restroom and be purging. That's the only constipation is the only thing you can have. Why? Because the adding of weight cannot happen overnight. No matter how much you eat. Even if they inflate you, it can't happen. I hear what I'm saying. It can't. The same way in the things of the spirit, the depth that you desire, that you should have, would never happen overnight. It will only happen over time. Over time through consistent practice, right? Spiritual depth is also not a function of age and longevity in the faith. Some people have been born again for a while. You see, but they are still very spiritually shallow. So, it is not for how long someone has been in church that determines their spiritual depth. 
Haven't you met people that will tell you, you know, I gave my life to Jesus in 1980? Sometimes when you even calculate their age, they were born in 1990. <laughs> okay, you've given your life to Christ since 1980, whatever. Congratulations. But why is he not showing? Because Apostle Paul said that when you ought to be teachers, we still have to be teaching you the basic elements of scriptures. Because your life is not showing it. So it's not a function of longevity in the faith. You may have been in church, they may even give back to you on the altar. I don't know if that still happens, but you know, in, um, you know, the kind of denomination I grew up in, they used to have mission house, you know, in the church. And there are some people that, you know, when they want to give back, they give back in the church. They have like midwives. So they may even give back to you in church compound. That does not mean you'll be spiritually deep. There are even many unsaved people that were giving back to you in church. I hope you know, because there are pastors that are not even born again. You are surprised. Pastors using familiar spirit. And maybe I should say this. Please listen very carefully. The fact that somebody predicts an event and it happens that way does not mean they are called of God. Please get it. Now people say, you know, Tinubu will be elected president. And he became president. And I say he's a true man of God. The devil also sees. It's called a familiar spirit. Don't be deluded. What validates a prophecy or a man of God being from God is that when he gives a prophecy and it's aligned, it happens that way, it's precise. That prophecy, the fulfillment of it, gives glory to God, not to a man. Just pay attention to it. When you see people who give predictions and it happens, and you see that it is the man that is bigger, uh, you will know this one is not a true man of God. Because a true man of God is even too afraid to take that kind of glory. Because he knows how Herod ended up. You know, Herod gave a speech. The Bible says, and people began to say, Ah, ah, this is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of a man. He was saying, Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and God said, Hey, wow. God didn't even touch him. It was an angel. An angel just slapped him. And the Bible says he died on the spot. You see, worms does not hit a corpse immediately. But this one, God wanted them to know that this was not an ordinary death. The Bible says, and worms began to eat it. Where did this worm come from? Where did they come from? Worms customized for a man that took God's glory. Praise the Lord. And the reason why men can attribute those things to themselves, because they themselves, they know it's not from God anyway. So please get it. So it says, spiritual depth is a byproduct of consistency. If you have it, you're not just repeat after me. It's a byproduct of one. Consistency, number two, is a byproduct of what? Discipline. Number three, is a byproduct of what? Intimacy. Number four, is a byproduct of teachability. Teachability. You will never express spiritual depth if you believe you already know all there is to know. If you believe you already know what there is to know. There is a way some people carry themselves like, I have no... You see, some people, even when they come to church... They come with an attitude of, uh, pastor has said that before. You can even quote it in the next scripture. Fantastic. I've told you why. I'm not a pastor. A pastor, a true pastor, his goal is not to impress you. His goal is to ensure you are established in what you are learning. People come with the attitude of, mm, I know that. The, the Hebrew word for that is, Kahil. Congratulations. Is Kahil showing in your life? Some people are not just teachable. 
And that's why you see that people with such attitude, they're always looking for new things. New things. New rema. New doctrine. Just something new, pastor. Why should we be doing a series for two months? Why? Maybe the next one may be for six months. <laughs> Praise God. Teachability is a key to spiritual depth. That's why you see, you see, when they say someone is a professor, nobody is a professor in a major area. When you are going to be a professor, you will streamline to a particular area. A small area. And you keep learning as much as possible in that area. That's how people become professors. That's how people become professors. So what does it mean to be spiritually deep? It is to consistently increase in your hunger, thirst, and passion for God, His presence, and His kingdom. Also His word. To be spiritually deep is also to have strong beliefs, convictions, and persuasions based on the written word of God. Based on the written word of God. To be spiritually deep is to have great part, a great part of your life, time, resources, relationships, and mind focused on the establishment and expansion of God's kingdom on the earth. And also to be spiritually deep is to have a firm grip on the basic and foundational doctrines and principles of God's word. So we said to over science and solutions to spiritual shallowness, number one is lack of knowledge of the scriptures. The first sign of spiritual shallowness is lack of the knowledge of scriptures, especially in specific areas of life, about finances, about prayer. You see, when you don't have the knowledge of the scripture about a specific area, someone can confuse you out of it. Haven't you heard a lot of people, they say it online, it's not, everything is not about prayer. And if you don't know why you are praying, you will believe it. He said, Nigeria, we just pray, we pray, 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 pray. What we need is prayer, not action. Have you heard that before? Or maybe you've even said it before. The Bible says in everything by prayer and supplication. So number one is lack of knowledge. You must know why you are doing what you are doing as a believer. Or else you won't have depth in the practice of those things. Why do you fast as a believer? Why do you give? Why do you make sacrifices? Why? Why do you attend church? Church services? Why? There must be a scripture, there must be a conviction and your conviction and belief must be rooted in the word. Someone that is so eloquent that has oratory skill can wake up tomorrow you see, and tell you what is not so and you will believe it. That's why I love what Apostle Paul said about the Berean church. The Berean Christian. He said, as anointed as Apostle Paul was, every time they will hear the word, the Bible says they will go back home and check if those things were true. And I strongly believe every serious Christian should do that. If any pastor that does not want you to go back and check if those things are true, he's probably hiding something from you. That's why you say that there is hardly anything we teach in this house that we don't give you a scripture for it. There must be a scripture. Anything we do. Why do you have prayer meetings? Why? Why should we serve God? Why should you be a worker in the house? Why do we separate ourselves in the beginning of the year for an extended period of time to fast and to pray? Why do we do the same in the middle of the year? As a church, in case you join us this year, one of the things we do as a culture is every year as a church, we make a sacrifice. Why do we do that? 
Why? You must have a scripture for it. You must have that understanding and that conviction. And that's why I believe. It's my own belief. It's everything we do in this house, we don't force anybody to do it. Because you must be persuaded in why you are doing it. You must be. If you don't get it today, you'll get it tomorrow. But to be doing things without having a knowledge of scripture of why you are doing it is a sign of spiritual shallowness. And so how do you overcome that? Spend time studying the word. Do time. You must have the time that you read the Bible. You must have the time. You must have the time. Number two sign of spiritual shallowness is the inability to call scripture correctly. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let it dwell. You see, that simply connotes that you are the one that will allow it to dwell in you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let, that word let simply means allow. Because other things are dwelling in your heart richly. You know the club, they just signed Nehemiah. He's still playing, right? Because when you guys are looking at me, I don't watch football, but I know there's a guy called Neymar. <laughs> Which other guy is trending now? Messi is still trending, right? He's the goat. Is he the goat or the chicken? <laughs> there was a time he said, goat, goat. I was just seeing goat, goat, goat everywhere. I said, ah. Which one is goat against the greatest of all time? I said, oh. Some people know the names of the players in every club and the number of their jersey. But if you ask where is John 3, 16? Oh, I already said it. <laughs> if you ask them where, coach, where Jesus wept, they can't tell you where it is. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the reading of your mind. Where is it? They can't tell you. Because they are not interested. They are shallow. They are deep in other things, but shallow in the things of the spirit. It's a kind of message that will confront you in areas where you need to make corrections. I say, oh, does it matter? Oh, yes, it does. He does. He does. He does. He does. Because if you can know so much about other things, why not what matters the most? Because let me tell you this, in the days of adversity, you cannot quote Neymar or Messi. You cannot. You cannot. Some people know where the latest. I was talking to first lady a while back about someone that the person literally knows every major restaurant in Lagos. Every fine restaurant person. If you just want to go to a restaurant, a unique restaurant, just ask the person. The person will give you address. You open the restaurants within one month, the person has been there. That takes effort. People don't just know those things. It is effort. It is effort. It is effort. Can you apply that same effort to knowing God's word? Imagine, like I said on Sunday, when the devil came to tempt Jesus and said it is written. Jesus did not know have a response of what is also written. See, the only thing the devil responds to and respects is what is written. Matthew chapter 4, read this when you get home. I don't want to go into that again. Satan said, turn this stone into bread. If you are the son of God, and before that, the Bible says that Jesus came from the baptism of John. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. And the heavens were opened over him. And there was a voice that said, this is my beloved son. But the devil said in Matthew chapter 4, if truly you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responded, man shall not live, alone by, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the devil said, hey, you are quoting the Bible for me. The next temptation, the devil said, it is written. The first one, he didn't say it is written. The second one, he said it is written. 
So you better know what is written because the devil knows what is written. You better know. You better know. You better know. You better know. So the inability to quote scriptures correctly is a sign of spiritual shallowness. Let nobody kid you. No, that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He does. He does. So the solution to that is to deliberately memorize scriptures. Like you do music and other things. Memorize scriptures. Memorize scripture. It can be one scripture a week. But don't do once a month. You are an adult. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The minimum is once a week. What's the scripture for the week? And how do you memorize? By repeating it to yourself over and over again. How did you memorize when you were in school? Studying for exams. How? You memorized definitions that were like three paragraphs. You memorized it. You still have that brain. It's still the same brain. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And some of those things you memorize, some of us, you can still remember it, you know. Newton's law of motion. Can still remember. Can still, why? Because you memorize it. You can memorize scriptures. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you can memorize scriptures. See, it is not a gift. It's discipline. When I see people memorizing scriptures, quoting scriptures correctly. Not saying, and Noah swallowed the whale. <laughs> Some of us did not even get what I just said. <laughs> and Noah swallowed the whale. Noah swallowed the whale. Instead of we will swallow Noah. Like the Bible says, and Noah swallowed the whale. And ate the way. <laughs> if you don't know the scripture, it will be ah, really? It must be a small way. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Number three sign of spiritual shallowness is the inability to pray for one hour as a believer. Especially as an adult. The inability to pray for one hour. Because Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 40 to 41, He says, Can't you watch with me for one hour? And the watch he was saying there is not to do the work of spiritual, um, the work of security officer and be watching. He was talking about watching in prayer. He was talking about spiritual prayer watches. Just like the Bible says concerning Peter and John, the Bible says they went into the temple at the hour of prayer. That's what the Bible says, watch and pray. You know, many people have thought that to watch and pray, like be watching and be praying. No, 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 no. that's not what the Bible says. The lack of desire to pray for long is evidence of spiritual shallowness. You must desire it. Because prayer is a dialogue between God and man. Between divinity and humanity. If you love God, you want to talk to him, isn't it? How many of us have friends? If you have friends, can you wave your hands? If you don't have friends, we should do deliverance for you. <laughs> this is not, the Bible says you should have friends. Praise the Lord. And he that must have friends must show himself friendly. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs. So, when you are with your friend, do you say, no, 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 one hour. Why should I talk to you for one hour? Do we say that? For one hour is not enough. So why do we think minimum of one hour is so much? When you are in a love relationship with God, one hour will no longer be enough. Number four sign of spiritual shallowness is the inability to lead and teach after three and a half years of being a Christian. The inability to lead and teach after three and a half years of being a Christian. See, God is a capitalist. Let me make us understand that. I hear what I'm saying. 
He is. What do I mean by that? <laughs> Everything God is doing in your life, He is expecting a harvest. What is the major driving force behind capitalism? Profit. When God is investing in you, He's also expecting profit. God did, does not expect that you come to church for so long and after being in church, you are still the way He met you. No, 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 no. That's why he said to the um, keeper of the vineyard. He said, three years I've been coming to this vineyard to check it. He said, it's not bringing forth anything. He said, cut it down. That's God's approach to his investment. He said, why is he occupying the ground? There is no point. The Bible says the keeper of the vineyard said, let us give it one more year. He said, after one year, if it does not yield and produce anything, then we'll cut it down. Jesus also spent three and a half years with his disciples. And after that, he didn't come back to check on them after he ascended into heaven. And three and a half years of investment made two of people. The Bible says in the book of Acts, it says they turned the world upside down. Three and a half years. For how long have you been saved? Let's ask ourselves that, that honest question. For how long have I been saved? Who or how many people have come to the knowledge of God as a result of my life? As a result of my life. I see these things don't, don't just happen. You must make up your mind that it will happen. Start from your family. Start from your friends. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Lead someone to Christ and mentor them. But if you yourself, you still need monitoring. Then something is wrong. Imagine if Jesus still had to be checking on the disciples. You know, there was a time that Jesus was still at that level with the disciples. That's why the, uh, uh, the disciples of John the Baptist, they came to Jesus and said, why is it that we are fasting, but your disciples are not fasting? He said, because I'm still with them. He said, the time will come, I will not need to be telling them again to fast. When I'm taking away, they will fast. For how long have you been saved? You still need to be told to fast. If the only fasting you engage in is the fast, fasting that is done corporately in church, you are not serious as a believer. I hear what I'm saying. There must be times as an individual that you just tell yourself, as a church, we fast every first three, is it first three days of the month? As a church, we fast every Wednesday of the week. As a church, we fast the first 12 days of the year. But you tell yourself, I'm doing beyond that. It may not be all the time, but maybe there's just something you can feel that your level of spiritual fervency is dropping. Just say, you know what, for the next one week, I want to fast. I want to fast. Why? What are you trusting God for? Nothing. I just feel dry. I want to fast. I want to spend more time in prayer. When was the last time you did that? In fact, the one that is corporate, is they have to whine you. In fact, when they ask you, 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 you become defensive. Say, so, do you know what I've gone through? If you go through the traffic I'm going through, you will not be fasting in Lagos. Really? You think in the days of Jesus, they rode in cars. If you are in traffic, you are in a car with AC. They were on us backs. They were walking with barefoot. Or maybe sandal. <laughs> and they were fasting. The next sign of spiritual shallowness is disinterest. In Christian literature, music, and gatherings. Number six sign is undue crave for new doctrines. Number seven 
His inability to sit down to hear God's word for long. Inability to sit down. You know, many of us know the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. How many of us know that story? Everybody does. Even most unbelievers know that story. But what we don't know, that we don't pay attention in that story, was before Jesus fed them with bread and fishes, he taught them for three days. Read your Bible. Three days at the stretch. They didn't go home. That's why Jesus gave them the food. Because after three days of teaching, he said, ah, it will not be nice to release these people. He said, they may die on the way. <laughs> he simply means already those teaching, they were not taking bread to be eaten. He said, let's get them something to eat so that they will not faint on the way. And the disciple responded, where are we going to get the food to feed all these people? I said, find what is available. A blessing multiplied it and fed them. Three days. Today's believers cannot endure one hour of message. The average Christian in the 21st century of our Pentecostal churches. And we are surprised at the kind of Christians we are producing. <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised. Output is determined by input. People cannot give what they've not taken in. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Ah, it's giggle. Garbage in, garbage out. It's giggle and vivo. Value in, value out. If they don't take value in, they can't give out value. They say, ah, somebody's a Christian, vote him, vote him, vote him into office. He gets into office, he messed up. What did he take in before you voted him into office? Attending church does not make you a Christian. Just like sitting in a garage does not make you a car. No, 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 no. The Bible says that after three years when Jesus slept, they saw the disciples and said, ah, these guys are Christians. They were not the ones that said, we are Christians. Why did they call them Christians? Christianity was not a title they took for themselves. It was a title unbelievers gave them because of the lifestyle that they saw. And said, ah, these guys, they were like Christ. They are behaving like Christ. Behaving like Christ. And how did that happen? Most of what Jesus did in three and a half years with his disciples was teaching them. Teaching them. Speaking to them. Training them. Teaching them. Over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. Saying the same thing in different ways. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, is like a man that will go and sow seed. It's like a man that gives his inheritance, his substance to his servants. He gave one five talents, gave one three talents, gave another one one talent. The kingdom, he kept giving it different illustrations for them to get it. When was the last time you dedicated a whole day to the word? What was the last time? You know why you find it boring? Because you don't have enough spiritual depth. And let me tell you this. If you are going to get to that level, it starts with training. I hear what I'm saying. There are times when you just say, okay, this weekend, especially for those of us that do 9 to 5, you can decide that maybe it's your Saturday or maybe a Sunday. I get back to church and when I get home, maybe after taking lunch or whatever, taking a little bit of nap, I'm going to hear the messages again. Do you know all the series in the month? You can decide to listen to it over one weekend. And you just keep hearing it. And hearing it again. Because you thought you had it in church. You'll be surprised that you hear something that you never had when you were in church. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. The light just found on any of my devices. Be it my laptop, be it my phone. is my pastor's messages. I can show you messages of 2013. Messages of 2010. I still have them. 
a couple of days ago, the Holy Spirit impressed something upon my heart. He said, go back to your pastor's messages from 2002 when you met him. I started listening to it from 2002 to 2023. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. You can't even, you've not even had the one of this month. You know the, why, the reason why I can hear it? Because I've saved it. Because I have it. It's value. You keep what you value. I hear what I'm saying. When did I become a pastor? I was not a pastor in 2002. I hear what I'm saying. Oh, pastor, you're saying that because you're a pastor. No, it's because I was trained in it. You see, this series, one of the purposes it seeks to achieve is to train you to be a stronger believer. Am I making sense? To be a different breed of Christian. The eighth sign of spiritual shallowness is the inability to worship. Inability to what? Inability to worship. Inability to worship. Inability to worship. I'm getting into things I've not mentioned before. Inability to worship. You know, let me say something about, you know, spending time in God's word again. Generations past, that culture is almost lost in our generation. They used to have what is called camp meetings. When last the year of camp meeting? Well, last. What was the purpose of the camp meeting? Just to feed on the word. Not ras matters. See, let me tell you this. Many of the miracles many of us are trusting God for. When you sit down with the word, ah, those miracles will happen naturally. In fact, you will not need to run after the miracles. You will just realize that you yourself, you are producing the miracles. That's what the Bible says concerning Moses and the children of Israel. He said God made his ways known unto Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. The reason people are running from pillar to post looking for what is not lost is because they are not sitting down with the word. They are not sitting down. Because the word will always produce its material equivalent. Oh, it always does. It always does. But you know what many people try to do? When they have gotten to the point of having a problem, they now start running after the word. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. It is what you have stored up that produces when you need it. It's just like sowing the seed of a maize. And you now want to harvest corn a week later. Is that possible? No. You will wait for it to germinate. I remember the Bible describes the word of God like as a seed. Sometimes when you take in the first seed, it may seem as if nothing is happening. But keep watching that seed. Keep watching that seed. When you hear that word again, are you with me tonight? When you hear that word again, it's watching. You hear it another time again, you fertilize it. And you are becoming established in it. Anyway, number eight is the inability to worship. So the solution to not being able to sit down with God's word is to cultivate this discipline. I hear what I'm saying. If you can watch a movie for two hours, trust me, you can hear the word for two hours. You can. Oh, you can. If you can watch a football match for 90 minutes. Is it 90 minutes? And sometimes they have extra time. How many minutes is extra time? 
Huh? 15, 15 minutes. That's, that's, that's 120 minutes. That's two hours. So you can watch a football match for that long. You can hear two messages in that time. I remember I was having a conversation with someone recently. I can't remember who. You know, in person, we were talking about a particular man of God that in their church, the shortest message every Sunday uh, is two hours. That's the shortest message. It's two hours. And it's not a small church. You know, some people, pastors have even been deluded to believe that the shorter the message, the larger the church will grow. Who said? Jesus shouldn't have commanded crowds. He spoke for three days. Apostle Paul spoke for six hours minimum. Somebody died in his meeting. People kept hearing the word. Uticus. <laughs> By now, everybody should know Uticus. In fact, if you are sleeping during service, we should just name you Uticus. <laughs> what the guy up? And the meeting did not end. You know, in a natural setting, that would have been the end of the service. Oh, but the people were so already used to hearing the word that they continued to hear the word. And nobody was bothered about the guy that just died. And rose again. They must have looked at him. I hope you are well. Oh. If you like, keep hearing. We we are hearing the word. Number eight, in ability to worship. In Acts chapter thirteen and verse two, the Bible says, "And they ministered unto the Lord, and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them." That word ministered unto the Lord simply means worshiping God, right? And Please understand this. Worship is not singing slow songs. Worship is not the slow version of praise. Praise is not the upbeat version of worship. You can even be slowly singing a slow song and it is not worship. Worship, that's why it is called ministering to the Lord. When you are ministering to the Lord, your song and your words, everything that is contained in it is talking about God, not self. And not desires. There are some songs, so-called worship songs, that are not worship at all. There are warfare songs too. I hope you know. And it's scriptural. The Psalms are the songs of David. And some of those songs, they are warfare songs. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But when you sing, you're ministering to the Lord. The content of your song and the content of your word is talking about who God is to you. How much you love him. You see, your understanding and the acknowledgement of his role in your life. That is worship. That is what it means to minister to the Lord. But shallow believers don't like ministering to the Lord. You know what they like? Huh? Upbeat music. Because upbeat music is sensational. It's, 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 it's appealing to the body, to the flesh. That's why you see... You know, with the Afro beat coming out of Nigeria now, it's received a global appeal. Why? Because, you see, you don't even need to be saved or unsaved. The beat alone is... Before you know it, you are dancing. That appeals to your body. When you say, stop ministering to the Lord. Oh, God, minister to yourself. <laughs> Shallow Christians are easily distracted during worship. They're always looking around. They are God's spiritual watchdogs. They know who is worshipping well. In fact, they can categorize people's tears. Somebody is crying in worship. He said, that's, that's a tear of somebody that just sinned last night. 
This that one is a tear of repentance. I'm looking around. What are you looking for during worship? What are you looking for? You can't lift up your hands. Some of us, you are worshiping. You fold your hands as if God is owing you something. As God, you must pay me my debt to deal. Oh, you are even tapping your. What, what, what are you looking for? As some denomination, if you fold your hands during prayer or worship, or you close your eyes, you just see one person come and tap you. They will drag you. It's automatic deliverance straight because they believe you must have a demon to be behaving like that. I think I should agree with them. Because really, the atmosphere... And see, let me tell you something. Let me correct something today. Hmm? True worshippers are not influenced by the nature of the music. Sister Bim is not singing well today. So I'm not worshipping God. Sister Testimony went off key. You are not a worshipper. A true worshipper, they bring their worship with them. Oh, because that's why they call them worship leaders. The goal is to lead you. Not to determine your worship. Oh, can they help you to worship better? Yes. Can they stop you from worshiping? They shouldn't be able to stop you from worshiping. So I was telling me something that on Sunday that you'll notice that, you know, some of the people that came for the 45 pray, some of those, you know, first release mentors, they came with their worship instruments. That whatever song they were, even the ones they did not know, they were just shaking their, and they were having a nice time. That's worship. If you are a true worshiper, whether you know the lyrics or not, it will not bother you. You will learn it as much. If you are not getting it, you start worshiping your own. Shallow believers. Once you see, you, that's why you notice that during worship, people's voice you are not hearing. Once it is the music, and you start hearing loop. Oh yeah, ah, that's shallow. That's shallow. There are places for those things. But when we see much more excitement in you, when everything is upbeat and loud, is a reflection of your spiritual state. It's a reflection. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's a reflection. It's a reflection. It's a reflection. So you must learn how to minister to the Lord time and time again. And it must start from your home. It must start from you doing it personally. If you don't, if you are not used to doing it personally, you will not be able to do it publicly. And may I say, because what, like they say, something is not a sin until it becomes a law. From today, it becomes a law in the gateway for your eyes to be closed when you are worshipping or for you to be focused. All this looking around, we'll be taking you aside now too for deliverance. <laughs> What's real guys just do like this? <laughs> They'll take you to greenhouse. It's greenhouse that will do deliverance for you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. They'll just say, brother. Whose name should I mention now? That's a brother tire. Is there any tire here? Please kneel down. <laughs> it's greenhouse student that will do deliverance for you. Praise the Lord. Because you know what? Let me tell you something. Your physical posture affects your spiritual state. You can't be worshipping and your hands are just down. And you are looking like this. What are you looking at? The Bible says, I wish that men everywhere will lift up holy hands. When you are worshipping, learn to lift up your hands. When your hands are aching, you bring it down. After a few seconds, put it back up. It will influence even the song you are singing. You are just looking around. Looking for what is not lost. The ninth sign of spiritual shallowness is irregular church attendance. Aha. Some people are going to start getting offended now. Irregular church attendance. 
In Psalm 69 and verse 9. The Bible says, for the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of them that reproach thee are falling upon me. The zeal of thine house. He didn't just say the zeal for God. You see, let me tell you. You cannot separate your passion from, for God from your passion for his house. Do I need to say that again? Some people say things like, I love God. My relationship with God is personal. I do. It is a lie. It's a lie. There's a proverb that says it's a person that you don't love that you say his house is far. It's a Yoruba proverb. You say, enter buffet. The reason why it is a burden to be in the house of God is because you have no love for God. It's as simple as that. Let nobody kid you. David said, the zeal of thine house, not the zeal for God. So the reason why he had the zeal for his house is because he had the zeal for the owner of the house. For the person living in the house. For the person living in that house. <laughs> See, you cannot survive the Christian faith with regular church attendance. You attend praise party and love lounge. You are not a serious believer. You are not. You are not. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You are not. Except there is a... See, one of the things... I've made up my mind to instill in the next coming months is to make everyone real. There is no difference between Sunday service and midweek recharge. There's no difference. There's in your, even in your mind, in your thinking, there should be no difference. Except maybe for those that come from very far places. But you know, some people just already have this mindset of, you know, where's this service I can do online? And sometimes we don't even do the online. Because when you are doing the online, that's when the devil will position somebody to come and visit you. And before you know it, you just, you just, you just, you just. By the time you finish the gist, it's 9.30. And that has been consistent. There are some people, the daily declaration for increase. 90 days is almost gone. They cannot count up to 10 days. Because it's during that time, the devil will just position somebody to call you. Pay attention to those things. Anything taking you away from God's presence ah, is an attack on your spiritual states. Don't get it twisted. No student can pass by regular attendance of lectures. Ah, You go to the university and you are not attending lectures regularly. No, the, the dents will be there. Oh, you may be an intelligent student. You eventually gather, you know, all the notes, the handouts, and you read and you pass. But there is something missing in the equation of your studentship. If there's anything like that. A staff that goes irregularly to work will eventually get fired. A student that goes irregularly for lectures ah, will most likely fail. The same thing with a Christian that attends church irregularly. Their faith failure is almost a guarantee. Almost. 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 It's unfortunate that with the rise and the increase of online experience, the church attendance of many has become random and unpredictable. Don't let that happen to you. In Hebrews 10 and verse 25, the Bible says we should not forsake the gathering together of ourselves. He says, as the manner of some is. That simply means that some people have made it a habit. Don't forsake it. 
He said, especially as you did see the days approaching. What day? The day of the coming of Christ. God knew this was going to happen in our days. And that's why he says, don't forsake it. Don't forsake it. It's a commandment. It's not an advice. Don't forsake it. Psalm 34 in verse 1. It says, how amiable are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. How amiable. How amiable. How amiable. You see, the more you love someone, the more you want to hang around them, isn't it? The more you love someone, the more you want to spend time with them. The moment you realize that your love for the house of God is reducing, huh? your fervency is dying. Your fervency is dying. It's one of the symptoms to pay attention to. All of a sudden, going to church has become a burden. Before, there was so much excitement. Now it's a burden. Psalm 64 in verse 1. The Good News Bible puts it this way. It says, Oh, how I love your temple, Lord Almighty. How I love your temple. How I love your temple. How I love your temple. The translation says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of us. What's the solution to that? Overcome every excuse for being absent from the presence of God. Overcome those excuses. If you are living in Lagos, traffic can never be an excuse for anything. You were born in traffic. You went to school in traffic. It's not who say traffic. Traffic to me it doesn't make any traffic in Lagos. It's just one in the US also that lives in Los Angeles giving traffic. You've not seen traffic go. There are some countries with worse traffic. <laughs> you say you know the reason why they are not in church is because you know there's traffic. You know by the time they finish the construction on that road, I resume church. By the time they finish the construction, you would have backslidden. So since the devil knows that's your target to finish, it will make sure the contractor delays in the completion of the road. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Number 10 is habitual lateness to worship. Are you getting blessed tonight? Habitual lateness to worship. Habitual lateness. Habitual lateness. Psalms 122 and verse 1. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. I was glad. I didn't see it as another chore. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know, there is a rule they have in Covenant University. I don't know if they still have it, but I want to believe they still have it. I want to believe. If they're going to have the service in chapel, lateness is 15 minutes to the time service we start. 15 minutes before the beginning of the service in Covenant University, you can no longer enter the chapel. can no longer enter. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with the workers. There was a, um, the, um, what do they call it now? The swearing-in of the current president. You know, I came across someone that was invited, you know, to the swearing-in. And the invites, they wrote it there. All guests must be seated. Latest one hour. One hour. Before he starts. Or else you can't enter the Eagle Square anymore. But you know. Today Christians attend church very late. And it's not even a concern. In fact some people. It is the time they know service will start. That they will start going to take their bath. <laughs> well, what time is service again? Uh, 9.30. Okay. You now wake up 9.15. Or you even wake up the 9.30. Which miracle will happen. That you will not get to church late. Which miracle? Habitual lateness is a sign of spiritual shallowness, sir. 
No matter how much you try to explain it away. Psalm 63 and verse 1. The Bible says, Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. It says, My soul thirsts for thee, and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. Where no water is. Psalm 63 and verse 1. So I'd encourage you the solution to that is be a man and woman that honors and prioritizes God and his presence. Number 11 is conformity to the world. The eleventh sign of spiritual shallowness is conformity to the world. One word for that is carnality. To be carnal is different from being unsaved. A carnal person is someone that is saved, yet they are behaving like someone that is not saved. So you can be in church and yet still be carnal. What does it mean to be carnal? Romans 12 and verse 2. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it simply means that as a believer, your standards must be different. Your value must be different. It must be so obvious that you are a Christian. When we look at you and the way you conduct yourself, and we cannot categorically say you are a Christian, that something is wrong somewhere. Do not be conformed. It's an instruction to us. So when you see someone who, even though they are believers, everything they still do, they are the ones that will jump on every challenge. Including ungodly challenge. Why? Because they want to fit in. Conformity to the world is a sign of spiritual shallowness. Because you don't want to stand out. And as a believer, you must be comfortable with being different and standing out. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? Am I boring you? You must be comfortable. You must so much work on your self-esteem that you are okay with being different. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, be okay with being different. You must be okay with it. You must be okay with it. You must be okay with not conforming to the standard of fashion. See, let me tell you this. The cloth you are wearing, some people came up with the length you know i came across a study that was done a couple of years ago you know so that the influencers in the fashion industry globally they came together you see there was a time that (laughs) if you watch circular music videos in the mid 90s and in the late 90s what people call indecent dressing now then is decent dressing now Indecent dressing now is nakedness. Clothing is supposed to see. The Bible says when man fell and they realized they were naked. The Bible says God covered them. That's the purpose of fashion. Covering nakedness. You know what fashion is now? Uncovering nakedness. That's what fashion is now. I think, personally, I think that on most wedding invitation, they should be writing there plus 18 or is he 18 plus that this wedding reception is meant for adults and not children because what people even call after party now is pornography in the name of dance and as a Christian when you don't have that kind of reception you think you are not woke enough it's carnality that makes people think that way spiritual shallowness 
Spiritual shallowness. Spiritual shallowness will make you conform to the fashion. Make you conform to what is called entertainment. It will make you conform in language. It will even make you conform in decision making. The solution to that is you must be comfortable with being different. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Be different. Be different. Number 12, as I begin a roundup, have you been blessed tonight? It's profanity. Or is it profanity? You see, when you look at the word profanity in English, and when you look at it in Hebrew, they mean two different things. But both definition is actually a sign of spiritual sharpness. In English, when you check in the dictionary, profanity in English means blasphemous or obscene language. Blasphemous or obscene language. And one of the ways you know someone is spiritually shallow is by their language. See, spiritual shallowness, you can't hide it in your speech. But some people I talk to, they've been Christians for long ago. They should be dropping F-bombs anyhow. That was what I'm talking about. Don't know what that means. When you say things like, ah, ah, I fucked up. You are spiritually shallow. That you even use those words and you don't know you just said something wrong. Gutter language does not fit royalty. And as a child of God, you are royalty. Instead of saying you heft up, why don't you say things like, I messed up. Oh, I made the wrong decision. Or I could have done it in a better way. You just said the same thing. People just say it. You see, (laughs) we know what is on the inside of you during unguarded moments. Ah, I heft up. Heft it. You just mistakenly, you know, eat your leg. Heft it. It just comes. That's profanity. Profanity. The second meaning from Hebrew of profanity means esteeming spiritual, heavenly, and kingdom things lightly. That's the second meaning from the Hebrew word. And that's what the Bible was saying in Hebrews 12, verse 15 to 16. Or better still, verse 16. Let's just skip verse 15. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one muscle of meat sold his birthright. What does that mean? Esau was so profane that he esteemed spiritual things lightly. He was hungry. And his brother told him, if you will sell to me your birthright, I will give you food. And he said, what is my birthright? Give me food. I'm talking about hunger. You're talking about birthright. Because you cannot see birthright with your eyes. The same way you can't see kingdom things with your eyes. As it's where? So, you were once a serious Christian, but now, spiritual things, they have become not that important anymore. To be profane is to lose value for the things of the Spirit. You are not the one that explains away spiritual things. <laughs> you say things like fasting is not that important anymore. You say, is, is it really necessary? Why do we need to pray for that long? Well, what's, what's sacrifice? You are becoming profane. You see, I've told us this before. There is no one that attacks this thing that did not once practice it. 
Go and check. Go and check. The people that attacked Titan years ago, they once did it. They were once Christians. They just became profane. And it doesn't creep on you, creep up on you overnight. It's always over time. Now you're a big boy in church. You see people during worship, they lift up their hands, they're crying. They're like, oh, he must just give his life to Christ. Too. Uh-uh. I remember when I used to cry like that too. So what are you doing now? You're so much a big boy. When was the last time in the place of worship you were moved to tears? Ask yourself. You have become so profane. You are not even moved anymore. You are not moved. You have now become an analyst in the service. An analyst. You will see. When pastor gets to the stage now, he will sing glory. That's his song. If he does not sing that one, you will sing Yahweh. <laughs> you say, do people really need to fast to get jobs? Do you really need favor? Or do all those things, you know, once, once, once you just study hard, you get good certification, you are, you, are, you are set for life. Wow. Wow. What happened to you? What happened to you? And you know what causes profanity? I'll show it to you. Revelation 3, verse 16 to 17. I have two more things to share with us and round up tonight. Two more points. Revelation 3, verse 16 to 17. There are some people that years ago, months ago, they were excited about church. They were excited. You were, you were so excited about joining workforce. Ah, when is MIT? When is the next GMT? You were so excited. But now they say spiritual home training. So what was training? What do they want to train us in again? Can I verse what body? What do they want to say that we have not had before? I want us to read it together. One to go. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spill thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What is the cause of profanity? It is comfort and success. Comfort and success that is not yielded to God. Comfort and success. When you have nothing, all your hope is God. But now you are becoming comfortable. You know, the reason why you could not do online church before, you didn't have data. But now you have unlimited internet. Limited internet. So you can decide to be doing online church and even do it in 4K. Because now you even have a smart TV, 95 inches. You even tell us, oh, pastor, is that CV in my sitting room? No, I'm not in your sitting room. I'm not those kind of pastors that go to people's house to do private services. Rubbish. You know that some people, they call pastors, come and do service in their house. And some pastors that also does not understand their calling, do such nonsense. A friend of mine was, you know, 
the church is not in Lagos, I was talking about how a politician invited him to come and do a service in the house. I said, never. You will come to church to come and have your service. Those are people who understand their calling. For some pastors, that's a breakthrough. Eh? Politician called me. Someone that will no longer be in office in four years' time. Pastor, it was as if you were, you, you were in, in my house. It was just creeps. It didn't even buffer for one second. I'm not in your house. You were deluded. Comfort and so. Check it. Most times, people lose their fervency when they become comfortable. Go and check it. Go and check it. Days when you didn't have a job, you didn't even have transport fare when you will walk to church. But now there is so much money. The time you should be on your way to church, the confusion is which card do I want to take? For 30 minutes, you are still deciding. Um, I think two weeks ago, I took the range. Last week, it was a G-Wagon. I think this Sunday, I should take the Land Cruiser. Wow. Who is looking at your car? You know, the funny thing is, I love the way, since the beginning of this church, the way our church has been structured, I never know who drives what. You may be a member of the Gateway Church for one year, I don't know what you drive, even if you have a car or not. I remember a young lady, such people can't even last in this kind of atmosphere. Years ago, can we do something to that sound? You know, the person was getting close to somebody in church. So, I asked her, you know, they were just having a conversation. Can now people? You know, and I just had that statement. Ah, that person, I need to be close to that person. You know. In case you don't know, it was you they were talking about when you guys joined church. They said, ah, hey, Jeep don't go to church. Ni. I own that Jeep. Ni. Ah, mama, close more. <laughs> I was so disappointed. The unfortunate thing is those people were living in my house that time. I was deeply disappointed. I knew they couldn't last around me. I was deeply disappointed. They are getting close to somebody because of the car. What if they use blood money to buy it? Fools drive big cars. Thieves drive big cars. But you know, the unfortunate thing today is in our world, abundance is synonymous to spirituality. Such a shame. That somebody drives a big car. It means God loves them. They may get it from the devil because the devil also blesses people. So it's one of the things that leads to profanity. Comfort and success. Comfort and success. Comfort and success. Especially when you don't yield it to God. It will take you away from him. When you don't submit your comfort and success to God, it will take you away from God. It's only a matter of time. Number 13 is slothfulness. What is slothfulness? It is neutrality and passionlessness. In Hebrews 6 and verse 12, that says, that's why it says, don't be slothful, but be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Our text for the month for this series is Romans 12 verse 10 to 12. And if you read that passage of scripture, especially verse 12, it also says the same thing. It says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. He says, serving the Lord, rejoicing in oppression and tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And maybe I should say this here, slothfulness and laziness are not the same thing. Slothfulness is more of the state of your heart. 
It simply means you are still doing things on the outside. The right things. But on the inside, attitude has changed. That's slothfulness. So someone can be so active on the outside, but they have become slothful. Let me give a practical example. So for instance, I want to use two illustrations that everybody will easily recognize. You know, So for instance, let's take the world of music, especially as it pertains to church. So somebody is a worship leader. You've always been in the choir. And you've always been taken back up. Let me face a message. Maybe this is the word of the Lord to you guys. And the first day they tell you, you are going to be leading next week Sunday. Eh? Throughout that week, you almost fasted. Now, Father, they told you 30 minutes. As I lead worship, let your name be glorified. Let people enter into the mood of worship. But now you are continuing to take the worship. You are leading it. Well, as you do pray to lead worship. I've become slothful. You are still doing it. In fact, you can sing it that now. You even sing better. Ah, you take all the keys. <laughs> but no prayer anymore. Or maybe you are a leader. They give you opportunity to preach in church. Or maybe take a membership class. Because you have been giving outline. No preparation. No prayer. They said, take prayer for five minutes. Tabadebi, I'm a now. She be they've given us prayer points. It's just for me to get there. Everybody, repeat after me. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. That's lawfulness. Oh, may that day never come that I will stand on this place without praying. You can ask my wife. The only person that knows me like nobody is my wife. It has never happened. It has never happened. No matter how prepared I am, that's one of the people I can't stand the most. One of the ways you can easily get in my bad books is for you to be trying to talk to me before service. Immediately, I mark you straight. Like you are an enemy of my destiny. That's the way I see you. Because I don't know, except somebody is about to die. That's the only emergency I recognize. I'm about to minister and you are talking to me. What? In fact, there are places I've gone to preach that they invite me to preach. And the pastor is just gisting with me. I mark them straight in my spirit. I will never come back here to preach. Because they don't even understand what it means to have a service. You invite a guest minister about to preach and you are gisting. What, what, what's my, there you can do all that after the service. As a man of God, we are so happy to have you. You know. So, how is your wife? My wife is where she is. That's not your business for now. I've been to all kinds of places to preach. And there are places I've made up my mind. I will never go back. I will never go back. Those are, that's the sign of slothfulness. And slothfulness is a demonstration of spiritual shallowness. You are doing the same thing. In fact, you may even look more active on the outside. But preparation has reduced. You have lost your passion. And last but not the least. is careless and thoughtless association. Careless and thoughtless association. Careless and thoughtless association. Hebrews 7 verse 8 to 9. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 8 to 9. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 8 to 9. Can we all read it together? One to go. Oh, did I say Hebrews? Sorry. Osea. Sorry. Osea 7, 8 to 9. Sorry. Osea 7 and verse 8 to 9. Osea. Sorry about that. Osea, chapter 7, verse 8 to 9. Alright, let's read together one to go. Ephraim, he has mixed himself among the people. 
A-frame is a cake not turned. Strangers have devoured the strength and they knoweth it not. Yet, gray hairs are here and there upon him. Yet, he knoweth it not. What does that mean? Ephraim is now a cake not turned. Nothing moves him spiritually anymore. Why? Because he has mixed himself among the people. When you are careless and thoughtless about your association, is a sign of spiritual shallowness. Because people who go for depth, they are very careful about who they allow into their space. I thought I was going to be able to get into, the, you know, it's been like two or three times I wanted to get into this, you know, but I didn't have the time to share it. So maybe one day I'll just take it as a different message about the four associations in church. Four types of association. It's not even everybody in church that you can get close to if you want to grow spiritually. Just like as a pastor, it's not every pastor I can be close to. There are pastors that Saturday, they can go for, they can go for 10 events. Wednesday, they can watch film. In fact, they can watch film to service time. Just as somebody say, yeah, yeah. Say, glory, glory. They have nothing to deliver. They're watching 24. Or Alchemy or so. <laughs> or Wura. Or Jagun Jagun. So you were watching before service. Because that's what all your friends are doing. You see, your level of spirituality will be largely determined by your closest associates. If you want to be prayerful, connect with prayerful people. You want to be someone that is passionate about the word of God, get closer to people that are passionate about the word. Everyone that picked up one vice or the other in their life, ah, a friend introduced them to it. Most likely a friend and uncle. It's an association that introduced people to smoking, to drinking, to partying, to clubbing. Somebody introduced you to it, most likely. Said, Take it now. Kill on share. What's wrong with you? A small girl. You come. He <coughs> said, come on, come on. You can do it better next time. It's always an association. And when you see people that are prayerful, go and check it. It's also association. It's also association. Their friend said, ah, yes, they guess what? I prayed overnight. You know, one of the things the Holy Spirit said to me, you know, I already announced it that on the 30th, the last day of September, we're going to be having a 12-hour marathon prayer fest. Yeah. And one of the things the Holy Spirit has said to me is, you must do your own privately first. So, it's not when we do it corporately that we do mine first. No. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, most especially for those of us in leadership position, and there will be Never tell people to do something you have not done. Never. The Bible says concerning the things that Jesus began to do and to preach. Not began to preach and to do. No, you do it before you teach it. Father, we thank you. Oh, we give you the thanks. We give you the praise. Can somebody pray in the Holy Ghost tonight? Pray in the Spirit. Take it 
Silamonda Brini Koshalabante Kalabonto Friha Donte Kara Badanini Rupate Kolodiki Bani Virose Pala Gorisha Manda Brikonda Sola Badea Dananoshi. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 18. 